This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today I want to talk about the relationship between faith and works. The Bible teaches that we are saved without works on our part. And as a result of that, one of the favorite statements among modern Christians is, we are uh, under grace, not under law. They use this as an excuse to live any way they want and not follow God's precepts. We do need to understand, though, that all of our works of righteousness cannot save us. In Titus 3.5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Bible teaches that all of our human righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. This in itself should tell us that our good works can't save us. Another reason that our works can't save us is the Lord Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our death. If our works could save us, he would not have had to die such a horrible death. One of the favorite passages on this subject is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's, it says, For by grace are you saved, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is 100% of God. It is His grace and His grace alone that saves. If He didn't offer us a way of salvation, we would be totally without hope. His grace is received by faith, not works. But it doesn't mean that there's no relationship between saving faith and works. When we depend on our works to save us, it gives us something to boast about. It takes away from Christ, so God cannot allow anything that does that to uh, to be part of our salvation. We really like these two verses that I just read to you, but we often forget about the next verse, and that's Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The person who receives Christ as his Savior uh, becomes a new creature. There's a new birth, a spiritual birth. He is no longer the same as he was before his salvation. This verse tells us that we are created in Christ Jesus and that we are the work of his hands. The makeover makes us able to do good works, to have a righteousness is not as filthy rags in the sight of God. As Christians, we walk in the righteousness of Christ, not in our own righteousness. God has ordained that his children walk according to good works. At this point, I want to define what the Bible means when it says we are to walk in good works. I don't have time to get into detail here, but good works are those things done according to God's precepts. One of the largest areas of good works is showing our love for others uh, through the things we do to help them when they are in need. Here are some examples of what we would consider good works. There's bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's lodging strangers. There's relieving the suffering of the afflicted. There's visiting the sick and the widows. There's church attendance. There's hiding God's word in our heart. And I could go on with a bunch more, but this gives you an idea of what we're talking about. Before I dig into the main topic I want to look at today, I want us to understand what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 gives us God's definition. It says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
you will notice that faith has two parts, substance and evidence. Substance is that which stands under something. It tells us that faith is not blind. It has something that it's based upon, a foundation of some sort. Christian faith is based on the immutable promises of God's word. It means we believe what God says and trust that God is always right. Evidence is that which gives testimony of some unseen thing. If I tell you I believe something, you cannot see my belief. However, if I have true faith, there will be evidence that you can see which will prove that my faith is real. So faith is believing something and acting upon what we believe. It will always result in some kind of action on our part. Now let's look at the main passage I want to deal with today. It's a bit long, so bear with me. It's James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. It says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and fulfilled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me uh, thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and uh, by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how uh, that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This passage describes the relationship between saving faith and works. It starts by asking what profit is there to faith without works. It goes on to ask if that kind of faith can save, that is one that doesn't produce works. We need to be careful here. One could get the idea that works are part of what saves us. We have already seen that this is not the case. James is telling us that saving faith will show itself in our works. In other words, works do not produce salvation. They are the fruit that is produced by saving faith. A faith does, that does not produce good works is not real faith, and this kind of faith cannot save. James uses the illustration of one who's naked and starving. What good does it do to tell him to go and be warmed and filled if you don't give him what is needed to warm him and to fill his stomach? A faith that doesn't practice good works is dead because it does not produce them. This passage makes it very clear that you cannot show your faith apart from works. Several times we are told that faith that doesn't produce works is dead. James uses Abraham as an example to help us understand the relationship between faith and works. 
He says Abraham was justified by works when he offered Isaac on the altar. This is found in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. It says, And he said, Take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell thee of. God told Abraham to offer his son as a burnt offering. How would you respond to such a command? Here's how Abraham responded in verse 3. And Abraham rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. Did you see a word of complaint from Abraham? No, there was none. He just obeyed. I'll not go into the rest of the story because I'm sure you already know the, know the story well. There are two things that are important here. First of all, Abraham was justified by this act. Secondly, this is in Genesis chapter 2, and you'll understand why that's important in a minute. Now let's look at his justification. Was this justification Abraham's salvation? The answer is no, it was not. Abraham was saved long before Genesis chapter 22. We know that he was saved at least as far back as Genesis chapter 15. In verse 6 it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness. We know Abraham had to have been saved at that point. When God said this to Abraham, Isaac was not even conceived, let alone born. I don't know how much time passed between Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 17, but in Genesis chapter 17, uh, Isaac's birth is still a year away. In verse 21 it says, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time next year. By Genesis chapter 22, Isaac was at least an older teenager. I think it's safe to say that there are something like 20 years between God telling Abraham that his faith was counted for righteousness and the time uh, Abraham offered Isaac on the altar. The justification spoken of here by James is not salvation, it's the proof of Abraham's faith. There are several times in scripture when Abraham is held up as an example of faith. The one I want to look at is found in Hebrews chapter 11. It is one of the events that God used to illustrate the true meaning of faith as defined in verse 1. In verses 17 through 19 it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he also received him in his figure. The faith of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 was sufficient to allow him to trust God's ability to keep his promises. Uh, even if Isaac died on the altar, he knew he could raise him up again. We need to remember that Abraham had been walking by faith for many years. He had seen God's mighty hand in many ways and was quite confident that God could and would keep his word. James tells us that Abraham's faith wrought with his works to bring his faith to per 
to perfection or to maturity. We know Abraham's faith was real because it controlled how he reacted when God uh, commanded something. The command probably seemed unreasonable to Abraham, but he obeyed because he knew God would still keep his promise of having his descendants through Isaac. James is telling us that there is a very real relationship between works and faith. This also means that there is a relationship between salvation and works, because salvation is received by faith. Works have nothing to do with saving us, but salvation has everything to do with our works. Listen to this next verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When people are saved, they are placed in Christ. In so doing, they become new creatures. The things that used to be are passed away, and all things become new. This includes our works. James gives one more example, that of Rahab, and then draws it all to a conclusion. He says that just as the body is dead without the spirit, so faith is dead without works. Today there are many who call themselves Christians who have a dead faith. There's no evidence in their lives of any real true faith. They live just like the lost world. No difference at all. If you can't point to a time in your life when everything changed for you, or if you have a lifestyle that cannot be distinguished from the world, you need to revisit your salvation experience and see if you receive God's grace by true faith. There are also many Christians whose faith is on life support. That is, they are truly saved, but they have slid back into the ways of the world. They are not faithful to their church. They don't spend time in prayer and Bible study. They seldom meditate on the things of God and His Word. The most important thing in their lives is material. Spiritual things don't occupy much of their time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate? To examine means to inspect carefully with a view to discover truth or the real state of things. We all need to examine ourselves to see if we are really in the faith. There are a lot of people who fit into what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23 tell us, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." Now that's a very scary position to be in, someone who's lived their life trying to serve God, but did it their own way and didn't follow what God said. Remember, works don't save a person, and religion and believing in God don't save a person either. Remember our passage in James where it said that the devils believe and tremble. They're not saved, but they believe, so just believing in God is not enough. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know some really faithful people who are full of good works and still lost. They have done many wonderful works in the name of the Lord, yet they have not come to Christ on His terms. Mother Teresa always comes to mind when I think on this. 
She did much to relieve the suffering of poor people. Yet her actions in the spiritual arena show she did not understand what the Bible teaches about salvation. She taught the people she helped in the physical realm to be faithful to their religion in the spiritual realm, and it didn't matter how pagan or unchristian it was. Now, how could a person who can allow someone to go out and practice Buddhism or whatever other religion they were practicing, some form of animism or something, how could a person do that if they truly understood salvation? And if they don't understand salvation, how in the world could they be saved? I know people don't like us saying things like this about Mother Teresa, but we have to be concerned about the fact that she was not concerned about the souls, but only the physical aspects of of the people that she helped. And I surely would not say she didn't do a lot of good works, because she did. But she was following the Catholic idea of salvation, where your works save you. She was depending on these things that she did. And worse yet, she was telling other people that they didn't need to come to Christ. They could go on in their own religion. How sad it is to see something like that. Another passage that pretty much sums up what I want to get across today is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 25. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye may put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This passage tells us that we're not to walk like other Gentiles. Now, today we would say we're not supposed to walk uh, like the lost world. We're not to walk in the vanity of their minds or our minds and thinking that we can be good enough to get to heaven. It says that they have their understanding darkened and they're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Why? Because they are blinded in their heart. And who's blinded them? Satan. And he's going to do everything he can to keep them blinded. But but we need to make sure that we're not in that group. It says, Who being past feelings have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. Now, folks, listen to that. We're we're not to allow ourselves to be given over to lasciviousness. That just means the wrong kind of living, to make it simple. Um, That's not what we learn if if we've been taught by Christ. If we've heard what he had to say and been taught by him, then we'll know the truth. The truth is that we are to put off concerning the former conversation or conduct of the old man. We're not supposed to live the way we used to. We're supposed to be changed. There's supposed to be something different about us. It says that the old man is is, uh, corrupt 
according to the deceitful lusts. You know, the lusts that we have are so deceitful. They keep promising us happiness and joy, and then when we allow ourselves to follow our lusts, we find out there's really no lasting happiness or joy in them. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So this is all a mental thing. So let's keep that straight. It's, it's getting our mind straightened out. Over in uh, Romans chapter uh, 12 and verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we've got to get our mind straight. And once we do that, then, then we're to put on the new man. That's the new creature that is in us. We still have the old man, and we have a battle between uh, the, the old man and the new man trying to see who's going to control our lives. And we're to put on the new man. This new man was created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, holiness is a very, uh, how would I say, downplaying doctrine today. Holiness, or the word holy, actually just means separated. God is three times holy. You see often in the Bible where you have the angels saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so he's three times holy. But what does that mean? That means he's separated from the rest of everything, really. He's above it all. But he is totally separated from sin. The Bible says he can't even set his eyes on iniquity. So we need to to realize that we're created according to that true holiness and we are expected to live holy lives. God said, be holy as I am holy. So we're supposed to live holy lives separated from sin, separated from the world, not doing what the world does. And if we don't, folks, there's a real problem. It says we're to put away lying. We're to speak every man truth with his neighbor. Now, folks, if you say you're a Christian and you live like the world, are you not lying? Are you not setting a bad example for your neighbor? When the neighbor looks at you and you go the same places and you do the same things and you use the same language and you watch the same thing on TV and all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, go on and on, and you're just like they are, are not you lying to them and saying there's no difference between me and you? And if that's the way it is, if that's the way you're living before the lost world, they're going to say, well, what do I need to go, go to church for all the time? What do I need all the stuff that you have for? I don't need it anymore. So we're not to lie to our neighbors. Why? Because we're all members of the human race and we're responsible to one another for the way we live our lives. If we have exercised true faith, there should be a real change in our lives. And if there's not, something is dreadfully wrong. We should not be walking like the world. We shouldn't walk that way. There has to be a difference. But we should have put off the conduct that we had before. There's, there's a song, and I, I don't know who sings it. I can't even tell you the, the name of it. But the song is about uh, this man who, who uh, was a drunkard and, and abusive to his family and everything. And then he got saved, and they moved away. And later on, him and his little girl, and I presume his wife, came back to the place where they were, and the little girl got afraid again because she remembered how her, her, how her father was when, uh, when they lived there. And he, the song goes about, we don't 
go there anymore. We don't do that anymore. And that's the way it should be. There should be a real change. I know my daughter, when she gives her testimony, she says one of the biggest things that brought her to Christ was the change that she saw in her parents when they started living for Christ. And so it's important that we care about others enough to live a righteous life before them. Putting on the new man means living according to the precepts of God. It means doing things God's way. You know, God is always right. And you know, one of the things I harp on a lot on this broadcast is doing things according to the Bible. We claim we're Bible-believing Christians, but how often do we depart from the Word of God? I could give you a list of things as long as your arms were modern-day Christians. I'm talking about those who are dedicated, those who say they believe the Bible, those who are faithful in church, those who are doing the work of the Lord, how many areas we have drifted off from and gone astray. But it ought not be that way, folks. We need to get back to doing things the Bible way. That's how you live righteously. That's how you live according to true holiness. And folks, my whole ministry, Solid Foundation Ministries, is about that. It's about us learning to live according to the way God intends us to live, building solid foundations in our families, in our churches, in society. The reason America's in trouble is Christians have quit living differently from the world. They live the same. They do the same thing. We, we put up with uh, the things that the left is pushing on us all the time with homosexuality, same-sex marriage, uh, uh, abortions, all this stuff. We put up with it. We don't rise up and stand up against it. We let them kick prayer out of the schools. Now you can't even hardly mention the name of Jesus in school without getting yourself thrown out of school or into some real deep trouble. Folks, it's because we have not done what we as Christians are supposed to do. We need to get back to living for Christ, living the right way. If our faith does not produce works that are commensurate with what we claim we are and what we claim we believe, something is dreadfully wrong. The bottom line is, is this. Can the world tell any difference between you and themselves? Is there anything in your life that shows that you are a Christian? Do you have to tell people you're a Christian, or can they see it by just watching your life? Folks, that's an important question. And if our faith is real, they should be able to see it. When the Bible tells us we're not to do things and we're out doing them, that's not real faith because we don't believe God. When the Bible tells us to do things and we don't do them, like, for example, church attendance, we don't have real faith because we don't believe God. We don't believe God thinks it's necessary for us to be in church. We don't believe God... Uh, blesses those who are faithful to church. I could go on and on with the various things that we really don't believe. Let me read you another passage of scripture that tells you why we should be in church. The passage is Hebrews uh, chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, this passage of Scripture tells us we're to get together in church, we're to assemble together, and what for? To exhort one another, to encourage one another, to to, uh, get 
each one of us to work the way we're supposed to, to do good works. It's an important part of a Christian life is being in church. You're not just there to listen to the preaching. You're there to be an encouragement to others. I think of some people in our church that are going through some real serious problems. Uh, they have health issues and things like this who are still faithful to church. You know how much that encourages me to be faithful to church? When I see an 88-year-old woman in church almost every service, the only time she's not there is when she can't be there, that encourages me. And she has health problems. She has trouble walking, and, and she has congestive heart failure and things like this, yet she's faithful in church all the time. It's encouragement to me. We're to be doing that one to another. And, folks, it says that the closer we get to the end time, the more important it is to be in church. It's a lot harder to live the Christian life today than it was when I was uh, first saved back in 1958. There's a big difference in the attitude of the world towards Christians, and it's much more difficult for us today than it was back then. And folks, I admonish you to be faithful to uh, the principles of God to show that you have true saving faith. And folks, if it's not there, I challenge you to examine yourselves and look at your salvation and see if it's real. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.